Hello and welcome to Cocoa Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. As women's healthcare specialists, we talk about issues that can affect a woman before, during, and after pregnancy. Issues that can cause serious illness and unfortunately, at times, death. We bring knowledge, expertise, and experience from working in communities, including in rural America and in urban Africa. My name is Dr. Bola Sogadi. Today, we are fortunate to have with us Dr. Jim M. Elwing, MD, FCCP, Professor of Medicine, Director, Pulmonary Hypertension Program, University of Cincinnati. And then you did mention that one of the patients you managed, she had an extended stay after delivery for hospital observation. How long after a successful delivery should the hospital stay be? And why is it that there's an increased risk, you know, especially during labor and delivery? Why is it that women that have these conditions have an increased risk during labor and delivery? Well, this is the part that's kind of the tricky part, right? You think you're, you get through pregnancy, you're at the end of pregnancy and it's soon to be over. But this is actually the highest risk time because of all the shifts in blood and fluid that happen in your body and the work of labor and delivery and the recovery from a surgery if you have a C-section. So your risk escalates at the end of pregnancy if you're a pregnant woman with pulmonary hypertension. And it continues on for those two weeks. And that's your highest risk time after you deliver. So it's not something that, oh yeah, I got you through delivery and now we're going to go home in two days. It's not that. This is the time where we really, really have to watch what is happening. And we may have to titrate medications. We may have to make sure your volume status is perfect and really have everybody on board because if the patient with pulmonary arterial hypertension and who just delivered does become more ill, there are things we may need to offer that we can only do in the hospital and in an ICU level kind of setting. So those are machines that help support the body, medicines that keep blood pressure up, medicines that help the heart squeeze better, and those medicines we already had the patient on during that pregnancy phase, that IV medicine and those pills, we have to continue them because we can't stop anything because that's the time we really, really, really have to support the heart and the lungs so we can continue through that high-risk time to get you to the point that the patient can go home and be with their family and their baby. And the hard part is they want to really be with their baby at that time. And Sometimes they're a little bit too sick right away to be with the newborn, but we try our best to allow people to recover and be able to have that important time with their baby as soon as possible. When unfortunately the woman dies, when does this happen in the stage of pregnancy and postpartum? And what is the usual cause of death when the women with this severe pulmonary hypertension and pregnancy do die. Yes. So unfortunately, this is heartbreaking for everyone, us as providers, the patient's family, and the other caregivers, because we never want to lose a mom. And in my experience and experience of others who have published this literature, it's during delivery 
And in that immediate postpartum week or so where we have the highest risk of patients dying. And why did they pass away? Because the right heart can't handle the fluid shifts, the increased stress on the right heart, the increased work that is required of the right heart, and they go into right heart failure. And that is something that's very, very difficult to treat. How do we treat it? We treat it by keeping fluids right. We keep medications for pulmonary hypertension going. We support, as I said, with certain kind of machines that can keep the body going, but sometimes all of that is not enough. So it's usually a right heart failure kind of scenario that results in the patient leaving us. It can occasionally happen suddenly. And one of my patients who was at another institution, she didn't tolerate the anesthesia for her cesarean section. So just having a surgery sometimes could be too much for a patient, but oftentimes it's that postpartum right heart failure that results in the worst outcomes for our patients. And how common is pulmonary hypertension? When you look at men, do you see more men or more women that have this condition? And I know you talked about some of the things that cause this condition. Can we screen for it? Very good question. Okay. So remember earlier, we talked about the reveal registry and half the patients were idiopathic. So there's nothing we can do to try to predict those patients. But there is a small fraction that are heritable. Those patients have someone else in their family that has the condition. So if you're a a woman who's thinking about getting pregnant or a pregnant woman who has a uncle or a father or a mother who has pulmonary hypertension, think about being screened for this. So we do screen people who have family members, and are symptomatic, we look for pulmonary hypertension in those patients. So we can also do genetic testing if appropriate in that situation. And then we do actually screen regularly for pulmonary hypertension if you have the correct genes that make you higher risk to develop pulmonary hypertension. And then if we have patients who are in that big group of connective tissue disease, well, if you have scleroderma, you have a one in 10 chance of developing pulmonary arterial hypertension. And we screen you if you have the right kind of symptoms and test results. We can do like an algorithm to try to sort this out. We screen you usually every year for pulmonary hypertension. And then in other conditions like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, we just have a high clinical index of suspicion. If you're short of breath or you're swelling or you're fatigued, we're going to look for pulmonary hypertension. HIV and liver disease congenital heart disease is high on our radar and we will look for it. If you're pregnant, we're going to look for it because we want to know because you're much higher risk to develop pulmonary hypertension than the general population. And who gets pulmonary hypertension? 70% of the people are women. And many times they're in this 30 to 50 range. So many people that are women are in that childbearing potential time. So that's why I think we have such a close relationship with our high-risk OBs because we know our patients could be at risk for this. And we work hard to try to make sure everyone is aware so we can all counsel patients appropriately. You know, we see that this condition is more common in women. And the pregnant women are at increased risk. So just to reiterate, women should be counseled to avoid pregnancy or actually consider induced abortion if they have certain conditions. Do you want to go over those conditions for us? Sure, sure. And I think that important for our our listeners that you and I, we're in the business of life. And we want people to be able to have families and live out every dream they have. 
And so these are guidelines. These are not our opinions. These are guidelines. But the times that a termination of pregnancy could be the right answer for an individual patient is if they have severe heart disease, left heart disease, where the ejection fraction or the squeeze of that left heart is 30% or less. And they have functional class three or four symptoms, which means they're short of breath with doing routine things like dressing and bathing and walking across the room and taking a shower. These are people that are very symptomatic from left heart disease or significant valve disease in their heart, which makes their valve have to work much, much harder and can obstruct blood flow out of the heart at times. So those patients are at high risk of having a negative outcome from pregnancy. Conditions such as Marfan syndrome, where you have risk of the aorta becoming dilated and even rupturing. Another is what we're talking about today, pulmonary arterial hypertension, because of known high risk of pregnancy, delivery, and that postpartum period, enough so that mom's risk is placed at a level that is unacceptable in terms of risk of dying with pregnancy. So something, as we said earlier, we have to be very, very honest. We don't want to sugarcoat anything, but we want to be delivering this information as clearly as we can so patients can make the best decision for themselves. Thank you. And, you know, once if a woman has these conditions, I say these things repetitively because I want the women to hear it, their benefits of early referral to centers of excellence. So all over the United States, there are centers that have people like you and a pregnancy heart team. And you spoke about some of the benefits before. And one of the benefits is possible survival. Can you tell us some of the benefits of, okay, I have this condition, my provider and I, we made this diagnosis and I really want this baby and I I want, I do not want to die. Can you refer me to those centers in the United States that are used to taking care of people like me? Can you tell us about the benefits of referral to centers of excellence and to specialists like yourselves? No, that I think is very, very important. We want to be the place where patients can come, us as pulmonary hypertension providers, that's what I'm referring to, that we can provide all of the expertise we've learned from all of our other patients, all of the research, and be able to provide that to the patient who really needs us. And that would be one very, very, very big group of patients that need that expertise are women who are pregnant with pulmonary arterial hypertension. You want to be in a place that is used to using these complex medications, that the nurses have expertise in caring for you, that the anesthesiologist has not only done one case of a patient with pulmonary arterial hypertension, but hundreds of cases for surgeries for these individuals. So you want to be where they have seen people like you multiple times before, so they have everything in place so they can react to whatever happens to you during the course of your pregnancy. And I think that is one thing that is so, so, so important. This is something that is so complex and so convoluted at times. You want people who have seen almost all the permutations that can happen when you care for pulmonary hypertension patients. 
and yeah. all, the, all the medications on formulary. That's even just that is a huge thing. That is, we're not having to go, you know, the, 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 even the pharmacy is used to the medications that are used to this used for this condition mm -hmm. and they have them readily available. That yes. is big. Yes. 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 So let's go back to this postpartum woman. So if a woman has a successful pregnancy, can she get pregnant again? Oh, that is something that's very hard. So yeah. I personally... In my PAH patients who have significant disease, if you had a successful pregnancy and you have been able to make it through that entire process without too much problem, I would counsel for not becoming pregnant again, even though you made it through the first time without any significant problems, only because we cannot predict what's going to happen next time. There are too many variables. Something could happen that would be different than the first time. And I would still say avoid when at all possible. At the babies in obstetrics, we tell women in discussions again, you know, after they've had a successful pregnancy, that maternal morbidity that is getting very sick from pregnancy is possible. And we talk about maternal mortality. We tell them that dying, you know, from having these conditions and being pregnant is possible. And from the baby's point of view, there's a risk of congenital heart problems or genetic conditions. And then the babies of these moms could have other problems. They are at risk for delivering preterm because if we obstetricians see that things are getting bad for the mom we always save the mom's life first and so we might proceed with preterm delivery for the baby and so the babies do have risks you know and you also tell women pregnancy can contribute to a decline in their cardiac status and the functioning of the heart may not return to baseline after pregnancy especially in women with these conditions. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, sure. So we talked about the pulmonary vascular disease, the increased stress on the heart, and then the, the work of pregnancy and the extra volume. And if you do get in trouble and you, are, you do develop right heart failure and you go through a serious hospitalization, that may negatively affect you in multiple ways, recovery time, different things in terms of complications that you might experience during that time. So you could develop changes in your body because of that. And it may be that this was such a stress and strain on your heart that it takes a very long time to get back to your previous baseline functioning, or you may not reach that previous baseline functioning again. So there is a chance that you will change your overall level of function after pregnancy because of the process and the stress and strain that I described that can happen to the right heart. So after having the baby, the woman presents with shortness of breath, chest discomfort, the heart is beating fast, and the legs are swollen, there is fluid retention, and maybe she's in a low resource setting, in a place that doesn't have specialists like you or in a country that does not have specialists like you immediately available. So for this postpartum woman, she just had a baby with these symptoms, again, shortness of breath, chest discomfort, swollen legs, 
what diagnosis should her provider be entertaining? And what is the single most important diagnostic test to do, especially in low resource settings? Sure. Yeah. And this is something that could be several things, right? We could have severe anemia. We could have new onset pulmonary hypertension that we did not catch during pregnancy, but we see it because we had all the things happen at the end of pregnancy and we brought it to fruition. So we are now actually able to pick it up or we could have peripartum cardiomyopathy. So what can we do for the two heart conditions we talked about, the pulmonary arterial hypertension and the peripartum cardiomyopathy? We can do an echocardiogram. And that's generally available throughout most places in the world to be able to look at right and left heart function. Now, other causes, of course, we can look at would require some labs and some routine testing, but these are the things that really need to be figured out quickly because we need to manage them uniquely, uh, the pulmonary hypertension and the peripartum cardiomyopathy. So the postpartum period is indeed a time of heightened risk of cardiovascular disease-related maternal morbidity, that is the woman being very sick, and mortality, that is the woman dying from pregnancy and pregnancy-related complications, as evidenced by a threefold increase in the rate of postpartum hospitalizations for chronic heart disease in the past decade. Also, what is the proper timing for a postpartum visit follow-up? Okay. So the answer to that is whenever the patient is not feeling good and very soon after the patient goes home. So what I would say in this situation is the patient would remain in the hospital much of the time in the ICU after delivery. And then in that, you know, maybe weeks or two after delivery, they're going to go home, depending on severity of illness, what needs to be taken care of, optimized before going home. Then likely a nursing uh, staff follow-up phone call within that one to two days and seeing you within that seven to 10 days after delivery or earlier if anything is going awry. So I think that This is a time where patients are most vulnerable, so we've got to be ready and available so we can answer and modify things quickly if needed. So, you know, we kind of talked about this before, and I wanted to bring it up again. In the discussion of future pregnancy desires, so not necessarily for the patient that has that survived a pregnancy with pulmonary hypertension, but for a pregnancy with cardiovascular disease, for the discussion of future pregnancy desires and personal preferences, as well as a critical assessment of the patient's underlying disease and the relative risks and benefits of all the options offered, including contraception. What are your thoughts? on contraception on this group of women? Okay, so first, in terms of trying to figure out how to advise patients, I think we really need to understand what degree of illness they have. This is where the expert opinion comes in. We cannot have someone who has mild increase in pulmonary pressure because of untreated sleep apnea or um, some other cause or altitude being told they can never have a baby because maybe that's not the right answer, right? 
but we don't want our pulmonary arterial hypertension patient with severe high pressures and a weak right heart being told that they don't have risk. So we need the patient to be seen by someone who can assess really determine severity of illness and provide them a risk assessment for pregnancy that is real and can be acted upon depending on what the patient wants to do. So many of our patients, we will advise them. For the most part, we're advising patients to use contraception and avoid pregnancy. And so what do we use? We use oftentimes the contraception with the lowest risk of causing more cardiopulmonary complications, those that have the least risk of causing blood clots. So we oftentimes use progesterone only or implants. And we also do consider using IUDs at times, but remembering that that's a procedure and patients may not always tolerate that when they're ill. So we kind of look at the patient, we assess what they can tolerate, we assess their risks, and then guide them and work closely with their OB to be able to give them an effective medication that doesn't increase their risk of worsening heart and lung problems. And we do have to remember that some of our medications for pulmonary hypertension can interact with these oral contraceptives. So we definitely don't want to give a medicine that reduces the efficacy of the contraception because then we might be in a problem that we did not anticipate. And actually, when our patients are on some of our pulmonary hypertension medications, that we know cause problems to babies. So some of our medications are actually teratogens. We not only require one form of contraception, but two. And we have to have the patient undergo pregnancy tests every month to be able to safely continue those medications. Thank you for that. And you know, for the difficult topic of uh, pregnancy termination, uh, like we said, these are guidelines. This is to be offered even if the woman appears to be in good clinical condition at the time when we made the diagnosis of a severe pulmonary hypertension. What are the guidelines surrounding that? So this is a very important point. Patients who have pulmonary arterial hypertension may look just fine on the outside. It's on the inside that they're having problems in their heart and their lungs. So just looking at them, talking to them and not really delving into their symptoms, you may not realize their risk is high with pregnancy. So we really want to look at their information, their previous heart catheterizations, their echocardiogram, and then in in the appropriate patients, tell them about the guidelines, tell them about their risk of not surviving pregnancy. And when we're going to recommend For them to look at all these options, we want to do this early on in pregnancy. We want to do this before the pregnancy is in its more advanced stages. So the message here is we need to think about pulmonary hypertension early. And if this is a person that is too high risk and they opt to go for termination of pregnancy, we want to do this before that mid pregnancy. We want to do this as early as possible to have that conversation so we can safely proceed with whatever option they choose. And so continuing follow-up as indicated after the three-month comprehensive cardiovascular postpartum evaluation provides the opportunity for counseling, for planning, and intervention 
to optimize underlying medical conditions and to improve cardiovascular health. So as we educate patients, women on their individualized cardiovascular risk, coordinated care can be challenging among many different specialties uh, and subspecialists. How have you kept in the loop with some of the women that you have cared for after pregnancy? So if all goes well, I hope to be caring for them for decades after. So what everybody in the audience may not realize, and I didn't express this at the beginning, if you would have talked to me or someone like me in the 90s, we would have told you that the average life expectancy of our pulmonary arterial hypertension patients is two and a half years. We have changed that now and our life expectancy is far longer in our pulmonary arterial hypertension patients. And so we can have that expectation if we can treat a patient and if they opt to remain pregnant or we meet them during pregnancy or shortly after pregnancy, we want to be able to provide them the medications that they can have the same life expectancy as our other pulmonary arterial hypertension patients are experiencing. And we have been able to continue to extend through new medications and optimization of how we manage them. So how have I kept them in the loop? Because I keep seeing them in clinic and taking care of them. And I mentioned the one young lady that um, I met early on in my career, but I've subsequently met several that were diagnosed in that postpartum period when they had no idea that they had pulmonary hypertension going into delivery. And that is an amazingly difficult thing for a patient because they're faced with all of these emotions about having a baby, but then being really sick all at once. But I have to say, I've been very fortunate that those individuals have done very well and also have improved after we were able to get them through that very scary period for them. And, you know, so as we are rounding up, I, I, I had one question, you know, during the postpartum care, opportunities should be developed to expand shared decisions amongst all the clinicians, whereby we can understand the patient's goals, their values, preferences for healthcare, restoration to things like pre-pregnancy weight, and all of this should be emphasized because not achieving it increases the risk of future pregnancy complications. And if you were going to summarize just uh, counseling, number one, to the healthcare provider, and number two, to the patient with this condition, what pattern summarization items would you want us all to learn from this podcast today? Okay. Well, that's a great question. So I want people to think about pulmonary hypertension in its general form, affecting many, many people with heart and lung disease. But I want them to be aware of the fact that patients can develop this rare form of pulmonary hypertension, which is specific to the lung blood vessels that causes increased blood pressure in the lungs, which we usually pick up by that echocardiogram we discussed and results in stress and strain on the right heart and ultimately right heart failure. And if we can at least have it in the back of our mind when we're seeing patients with the classic symptoms of shortness of breath, 
decreased exercise tolerance, chest pain, lightheaded dizziness, and passing out, we are going to detect this disease earlier. And by detection, we can diagnose. And by diagnosis, we can treat. And hopefully, we can afford our patients the better outcomes that we are looking for in the year 2022. Now, for those patients, I want to tell you, if you're not feeling right, if you're not feeling your normal self, if you're starting to swell or you're starting to feel lightheaded or you just can't do things that you used to be able to do because you're now short of breath with them, talk about it. Don't hide it. Don't blame it on yourself and say, oh, I'm fat or I'm not exercising enough. Make sure somebody takes a look at you, takes a listen to you, maybe do an echo. Do whatever you need to do to be sure that you're as safe as you can be going into pregnancy or during pregnancy. So we have just been so fortunate today to have Dr. Jane M. Elwing, FCCP, Professor of Medicine, Director, Pulmonary Hypertension Program, University of Cincinnati, uh, to be with us today. Dr. Elwing is a mother, she's a wife, and she is a tutor. And I have medical students, midwifery students, PA students, and even high school students that have just finished and are trying to get into pre-med with me. And so please, if you are going to give all of them a good piece of career advice, what would you tell them, Dr. Elwig? I think the most important advice is figure out what you really, really like, what makes you happy, and then figure out whatever way you can to do that. Because in this life, it's short. We got to enjoy what we're doing. And because we enjoy it, we can help other people enjoy their life and live our lives to the most full extent we can. And in doing these jobs in medicine, we can really make a positive impact on so, so many people. And I think we have to appreciate that as a gift and be able to share that gift. So that's my parting words. Wow, wow. Dr. Elwin, thank you so much for coming on Coco Pods podcast. Thank you for the way you have educated me, educated women, educated just people all over the world. Thank you for all you do with your knowledge and expertise, just for you know going the, the extra mile, doing all the extra work to be what you are so you can help the people that you help today. So thank you so much for coming to our podcast. Oh, thank you. And I have to say the same to you. And thank you for making this possible.